You're listening to the Hard Hedge, UVA's only independent basketball podcast hosted by two guys, one of whom happens to be a fake coach. Fake coach. Get up out your seat, you can have my drink, let me see you dance. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Pittman and Phony Bennett. When the sun falls, the sun falls, then the moonlights, the moonlights, might be a hell of a night, go, go. Welcome, folks, to another edition of The Hard Hedge. We are thrilled to have you with us tonight. Uh, picked up an important win last night. There, there's a lot to discuss about what we saw on the floor yesterday. And, and Phony Bennett, uh, I'll, I'll bring you in first, buddy. How you doing and how you feeling after last night's game? You know, I'm, I'm feeling very much like I did when we recorded last week. We had uh, a loss followed by a win and... and Still really not sure where this team is at, at this moment. I, I still believe in where we can get to, though. So that, that's where we are, and we can talk in more detail later. Absolutely. Uh, also with us once again at University Ball, Charlie Sawalser is with us. Chuck, how you doing, sir? Feeling great, guys. Feeling a lot better after a win than I was feeling at 7.30 on Tuesday, especially with what Clemson had done coming into the game. Um, yes. We've still obviously got a ways to go, but... I feel like maybe we started building something on Tuesday. We'll see. Absolutely. Well, we have a lot to get into. Our first guest tonight uh, is an old friend of the show, uh, one of the best follows out there, a guy that uh, has been doing this for a long time, covering Virginia Athletics, uh, the director of news content for virginiasports.com, Jeff White, joins us. Jeff, I hope you're doing great, sir. How are things going? I am doing very well, thanks. Glad to, glad to be back. Great. I'm glad to hear it. So let's kind of dive right in. Um, you know, from from your perspective, kind of uh, uh, much more connected than than we are. What has the morale been with these guys through this? You know, little bit of a of a rough stretch, and um, you know, what's the sense you get in the locker room of kind of where the these guys are mentally? Well, I don't get in the locker room with them, but you know, I, I see them at practice and and you know, on, on the plane and on the bus and. You know, I don't. I don't think necessarily the players kind of ride the roller coaster the way fans do, and and uh, you know they they may get as up. I don't think they get as down after a loss, and they don't look at it like, oh no, the season's lost. We've lost two road games in a row. You know, it's all falling apart. I mean, you know, fans tend to overreact, no, uh, one way or the other. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, I think the players probably when things are going well, they're more likely to think. You know, they're better than they really are than if they hit a rough patch. I don't think they lose hope, you know, particularly over, you know, a loss or two on the road. So, you know, I think these guys have been even killed. There's a lot of veterans on this team. and You know, if they've learned anything and if we've learned anything, it's that how you're playing in January and even February is not necessarily a predictor of how you're going to be playing in March and you know, for this team in particular, the Malcolm Brogdon's and Anthony Gills and Mike Kobe's, I mean, it's, it's all about postseason. Uh, I mean, they want to have success in the regular season, obviously, and you have to have a certain amount of success to ensure a chance to play in the NCAA tournament. But, uh, you know, they've had incredible highs over the regular seasons, and it hasn't translated into the same kind of success in March yet. So, you know, they're not panicking uh you know, by any measure. Yeah, uh, that's right. I mean, these guys have a completely different, uh, you know, goal in mind, I think. And uh, what is your take on, on kind of the, the tinkering with the lineups that has been, you know, quite 
uh, extensive here since ACC play has started. Did did we see the five that we're going to see going forward to start the second half last night? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's interesting that this is obviously more tempering than uh, you know Tony Bennett has done during his tenure in Virginia. He's always been a, a tight rotation guy, you know, at least by this stage of the season, and you know he's still trying to figure some things out. And, and there've been opportunities for guys to kind of seize playing time. And you know, I think Devin Hall might be starting to do that. You know, he has he has to continue it, but uh, you know, he's had an opportunity to play extended minutes. Uh, he's looked good. I, you know, he struggled defensively against Florida State, but I think the reality in that game is that whoever was covering Dwayne Bacon was going to have a hard time keeping him out of the lane. I mean, you know, that guy happened to be Devin on several possessions, and, and Bacon looked, made him look bad. But I think you know he was probably going to make anybody on Virginia look bad in that situation. I'm just not sure there's a guy who could keep him out of the lane. So. Uh, you know, I think we're starting to see, but things can change really quickly. I mean, if, if, you know, if one of these guys goes out and plays poorly against Syracuse, I don't think Coach Bennett will hesitate to, you know, give another guy a chance. But uh, I was going to say, are you, are you as surprised as we are that, that Shayok has uh, kind of gotten pushed down to the end of the bench? Yeah, a, a little bit because, you know, he, he played, you know, he, he didn't play great against Georgia Tech, but he played better than he had been playing. Uh, nobody really played great down there. So, you know, he was probably just about as good as anybody. Uh, and, and he did not play well against Miami, uh, you know, in kind of a limited appearance. And, and they had a really costly turnover that did not end up hurting the team uh, as far as keeping it from winning. But, you know, I, that might be a case a little bit of just there's several guys at that position and, uh, he wants to tighten the rotation, and you know someone is the odd man out, and, and he's that guy, at least for now. So, yeah, I think it's hard to play as many guys. I mean, this is, you know, when you think about it, you're allowed 13 scholarships. They got two guys sitting out this year, so there are really only 11 scholarship players available. And even so, it's difficult to find significant time for that many guys. And uh, and and Tony Bennett never really has in his career. He's been an eight, maybe nine. Guys, so there was always going to be somebody uh, right. on the outside looking in, probably. And I'm not sure I would have predicted that it would be Mariel, but I'm not surprised that someone's in that situation. Well, yeah, and I think the the flip side there is a lot of people are surprised that Evan Nolte is getting the minutes that he is. Uh, I guess Tony made a reference in passing that Nolte was you know playing really well in practice. I mean, what are you seeing from Evan Nolte in practice? Yeah, I mean. You know, he's been solid in practice. I mean, he's just kind of an inconsistent. From the offensive end, he's, you know, he's inconsistent a lot in practice. Yeah, he has hot stretches. But, you know, I think he just, you know, coaches like guys they can depend on, uh, you know, in the areas that are particularly important to them. And and for Tony Bennett, that's defense. And, you know, Evan doesn't necessarily make a ton of steals he doesn't block shots but in terms of being a team defender he's very sound and you know in a season where defense has been an issue uh yeah i'm sure that's comforting to, to the coaches at, at some level that if they put evan nolte out the defense functions a little bit better you know at the same time you know the team with the most points wins and you know he's really really struggling offensively and you know which is probably why he didn't play in the second half last night. I think 
you know, maybe he got that opportunity early and the coaches wanted to see if, you know, maybe he'd get a shot to fall or, or get on track offensively and it didn't happen. And other guys were playing well and they just didn't go back to him. So, I mean, I, I feel bad for him. You know, it's kind of his arc and his career is, is different from a lot of the players who come through this program. I mean, most guys, you can say, you know, they have steadily improved and they were clearly better players when they were third or fourth year than, than when they came into the program. And, you know, Evan might have been most effective his first year, or at least his second year. And, and you know, that, that just kind of, that, that kind of bucks the trend for, for Tony Bennett players at Virginia. It's just kind of baffling, really. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that your assertion is exactly right on on why Evan Nolte is playing. He is an excellent team defender. He, he knows the defense well. He moves well within it. Uh, and I, I think you're absolutely right. The, the tape is showing that, that they're struggling on a team level, uh, and he brings a little um, just stability to that side of the ball. But he's struggling you know, so much on offense that you know, it, it is a give-take. Uh, Evan hit a lot of big shots in his career, uh, his first and second year. Um, he even hit some key shots uh, in the NCAA tournament that year. Yeah, I mean, and, and yeah, it's, absolutely. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. Like I, I just find every time he's in the game, I, I'm, I'm like pointing up, like bet, like let this man make a shot, because I, I still believe deep down that you know Evan Nolte is, is a couple shots away from getting a little confidence back and, and having a, a better impact offensively. I think he also, Daniel, our buddy uh, Dan O'Neill pointed this out, and the ball kind of tends to stick with Evan a little bit offensively. He, he, he isn't immediately going to rotate the ball. He, he holds it a little bit. I, I think there's just some things he needs to tighten up offensively because he is, he is, a, good, uh, he is a good defender within the team defense. Um, but I'll tell you guys, I, I think that the five that we open the second half with, I looked at it, and, and instead of, you know, take out Evan, I think those five are the five guys that have been in your program the longest. Uh, Brogdon, Hall, who's in his third year in the program, um, you know, Toby, Gill, um, and who am I leaving out? You said, you said Brogdon, London? Yeah, London, I'm sorry. Brogdon, <laughs> yeah. I think you yeah. got to go with your experience, um, and, I, you know, I know Toby is a little bit of a liability defensively at times. Uh, but I think that those are the guys that are going to be able to wrap their head around what coach is trying to get out of them uh, a little bit more right now. And I think that's who you open halves and start games with. Um, and, you know, I, I loved what Devin did last night. I thought that uh, I thought he had the most energy on both sides of the ball. I thought he was active without the ball. Um, you know, I thought he had some great clutch rebounds. Uh, I thought he was pretty good defensively. You know, he, he's, He's going to let some guys get around him a little bit, but he's also, like you said, Jeff, he's been he's been guarding the guys that are the most aggressive off the dribble too. It's not like he's just, um, you know, completely incapable in that regard. He's just drawn some, right. uh, drawn some tough assignments, and he's contesting. I like that a lot. Like even on in situations where he may be overmatched a little bit, he's at least he's getting a hand up. He's getting there. Like I feel like even when he gets when he's being scored on or when people guys are going by him, it's not even necessarily always because he's out of position or doesn't know where he needs to be. He's, I mean, he's playing it about as well as he can. I was just going to say, I think the guy you haven't mentioned who's going to play a lot and who the coaches are really, really high on is Isaiah Wilkins. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I think there are certain front court 
pairings they like to use, and, and you know, that's going to determine who's out there together a lot, and, and a lot's going to depend on what the other team looks like. I mean, if, there's, if they're playing four perimeter guys and just one true post player, then, you know, you're probably not going to see Toby and Gill together uh, in that situation. It makes it a little tougher to match up, but, you know, Isaiah does a lot of, lot of things well. I'm not sure he does any one thing great, uh, though I think he's a really good team defender, but, you know, he just contributes in so many different ways, and when he can hit that face-up jump shot like he did last night, I and mean, he becomes a really effective player. Looking uh, a little Mike you know, Scottish, he, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's kind of a below-the-rim guy. I mean, you know, I think he's well, he's listed at 6'7", so he's 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, but, uh, you know, he's not a back-to-the-basket, you know, back-a-guy-down-take-a-jump-hook type guy, but he's got a really good shooting stroke and, really, you know, extremely high basketball IQ, and he passes well. So and I think when he's facing the basket, he can, you know, he can shoot, he can, you know, he can put it on the floor a little bit, and he can also see guys cutting, and uh, it's just very effective. I think things you know, tend to run smoother when he's out there. And, and coaches love that. De- defensively, he's starting to remind me of Akil. Uh, just in, in the way of being everywhere he needs to be, you know, when he's down there and really affecting plays, you know, he may not get the, the steal or the block, but he's he's getting involved a lot and in, in disrupting things. Yeah, yeah, I think he's good. I mean, I don't think he's, a, he's definitely not as, you know, athletic no. as Akil, but in terms of just, uh, you know, the sense of knowing where to be, you know, his instincts are really good. And, uh, you know, I think if he, he's a very good shooter in practice. Uh, I mean, you watch him shoot, he's got excellent form. You know, the more confidence he gets in that shot, the, you know, the more he makes it, and then the better the team becomes too, because then it, that opens things up for the real low post players like, like Toby or, uh, you know, or, or Anthony. Jeff, um, a lot of people, there's been a lot of chatter that this team is maybe too stoic. Like there's been wish for, there's people have been wishing for more fire. And in previous seasons, it seemed like there's been a guys, there have been guys like the Tevin Joneses and the Justin Andersons that have kind of been the emotional leaders of the team. Uh, who, uh, who does this team like, who's the emotional fulcrum of this group? And I mean, what's your opinion? Like, do you think their stoicism is a drawback or do you think they're just, they're focused and locked in on where, on Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I don't think you can be who you're not, you know, if you're trying to be a rah-rah guy and it's not you, that you know, that your teammates will see through that, you know, and it, it's not productive. I mean, there's not really a big personality exactly like Justin Anderson. I mean, uh, Anthony Gill's got a big personality. He keeps guys loose. Malcolm is very much, you know, off the court like he is on the court. I mean, he's a he's a serious person. You know, I mean, you know, he has some fun with his teammates, but he's not a jokester. Uh, you know, Mamadi uh, Diakite has a big personality. He's always smiling. Uh, you know, he he will probably be more of that guy once he starts playing. Uh, you know, he can be a clown, you know, in a good way and his teammates like it. He makes people laugh. Uh, he keeps things upbeat, but you know, this is kind of the collective personality of these guys. Uh, you know, Evan's kind of, Devin is even killed. Darius is not a big loud guy and you know, Mario isn't either. So that just happens to be kind of the personality of the team. And, 
you know, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It's certainly good if you have, uh, you know, a really charismatic guy, but I think, I think you can win without one. And, you know, looking ahead to next year, you know, Mommy and, and Kyle Guy coming in, he, he clearly has that kind of big yeah. personality. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was thinking a little bit that this team was maybe taking after Malcolm and, I mean, even Tony, who is not, at least in a public-facing sense, the most demonstrative sort. I think maybe right. just taking after the leaders. I think so. I think that's absolutely accurate. Uh, and, uh, yeah, like Jeff said, I, I think... Uh, you know, you can you can win without it. I, I think in certain moments and in certain uh, atmospheres and and against certain pressure, it does help to have somebody out there, um, you know, pumping up the crowd, slapping butts, slapping floors. You know, uh, I, I do think that it's it to me. I'd like to see it a little bit more. But do I think it's a major contributing figure factor to to wins and losses at this point? No, uh, no, I don't. So. Jeff, um, what is your uh, overall opinion on the defense? You know, uh, ninth in the ACC in field goal percentage allowed, which is just kind of hard to wrap your head around for a Bennett team. And, um, you know, every time you look at the shooting percentages, it's it, it seems to be over 45%, no matter the level of the opponent. Um, what do you attribute that to? Is this team just uh, outside of the Akeel Mitchell, Darian Atkins uh, factor that we're missing? Um you know, what exactly do you point your finger at as, as, as this is what's prohibiting, prohibiting these guys from taking the next step defensively? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that that's definitely some of it. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Darion probably more than Akil did stuff that did show up in the score sheet. I mean, he, he blocked shots. Akil wasn't really a shot blocker. You know, Akil just was so good with help defense. I mean, not only the guy he was covering himself, but, you know, I think having a guy like that can – kind of cover up the flaws of some of the other players. You know, you're, it's not as apparent that so-and-so is a mediocre defender. You know, if Akil Mitchell is covering up his mistakes, yep. and same with Darian Atkins. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, I mean, it, it's almost been apparent. It has been from the first game. And the funny thing about the GW game was, I don't think GW could get a shot off, like, for the first two minutes. And it, you know, the game and they might've had a 30 second shot clock violation. It was like, wow, this defense is as good as ever, maybe better. And then all of a sudden GW starts hitting and, you know, we've seen that in game after game. And, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what it is. I think there are some smaller factors. Uh, I think this could still be a, a good defensive team. You know, it's not going to be the best defensive team in the country. And you could probably argue that it was, you know, the last couple of years, but, you know, there are a lot of veterans in the system who, who understand the pack line, you know, and know what they should be doing. So it would not surprise me at all if the defense gets better. I, mean, I think it was better last night, even though Clemson still shot a pretty good percentage. I mean, that's the kind of game that last year Clemson would have ended up shooting 38%, you know. 54% last it, night. No, nah, Clemson wasn't fifty-four. Clemson wasn't fifty-four. Uh, we're, we, we were 54. we were, yeah, they they were in the four, mid forties. So I mean, uh, I think in the mid, it was definitely in the forties. But there, ha- there, you know, you don't have the games in the thirties, which you know we kind of had become accustomed to that. Uh, that's right. You know, teams would just not be able to. So I mean, that's a difference. I, you know, I think a a realistic goal for this team is to become a very good defensive group. Um, Obviously, they'll keep trying to become an elite 
shutdown defense. Uh, I just don't know if that that's realistic. You know, hopefully it is, but you know, there's a pretty big body of work right now at this point, and uh, and it just doesn't seem to be that kind of team. But obviously, the flip side uh, is that this team is better or has been better for long stretches on offense. So, you know, that compensates a little bit for the slippage on defense. Yeah, I've I've seen some people on the message boards say that the freedom of movement rules are uh, hurting the pack line. I mean, I saw somebody say it killed the pack line. I go, like, that's that's it. it. It's not a defense that can do it under the new rules. What are your, your thoughts on that? Do you see that affecting our defensive ability uh, much at all? You know, I think early in the season it may have, but, God, the officiating has been so inconsistent to me. I mean, there, there's a lot more contact allowed now, I think, than there was. Well, the GW game was probably an extreme. They were calling everything, but, you know, it seemed like, to me, there's been kind of this gradual reversion to, uh, you know, the way they've called it in the past. I don't think it's significantly different. I mean, Clemson's a physical team. Virginia likes to play physical defense. Neither team was in the one-on-one in the first half last night. So it wasn't like the, the officials were calling every touch foul. So I don't know how much that is right now. Uh, I do know that, you know, at the end of the game, uh, you know, if opponents have someone who can attack the rim, and just go. A lot of times, officials are going to reward those guys and put them on the line. I think that's, you know, that's hurt Virginia. It hurt against Miami, but Rodriguez, Florida State had guys who could attack the basket. So several other teams have as well. And uh, this is not a great team at keeping guy really quick guards out of the lane. And when they do get in the lane, there's not a Darion Atkins there to you know waiting for them. So you know, that kind of compounds the problem. Yeah, I think I think from my vantage point last night, it seems to be a, a little bit more chasing. I, I think we're we're over we're we're almost starting to overhelp a little bit because we don't have that rim protector. So if you reverse uh, when that happens, that's when I think Clemson's like first twelve shots last night. I was sitting there counting them; were just wide open shots, and they got a lot of it off of reverses when you know a guy would come in and. Uh, you know, attack off the dribble a little bit, uh, help would slide down, and they'd just go back to the area that was vacated and get a wide-open shot. Uh, and, and that's kind of, every time I look at it and I try to break it down, I it seems like to me it does kind of come back to the fact that we either A, don't have that rim protector that is really disruptive inside, and B, you know, Gil and Toby and, and a lot of the guys that get in the minutes at four and five and having to hedge, they just they don't move quite as well. They just don't have that square yeah, yeah. footage that they can cover like Darian Atkins and Akil Mitchell did. Um, yeah, and, and you know the other other thing I've noticed on defense is just that, that the post trap has not been as right. Yeah, you know it, it. You know, and that's kind of a high risk, high reward move. You you do a post trap. You're hoping to force a turnover or you know take them out of their offense. And when the team can when a team can break it, you know, and beat it, you know, it often results in a good shot. And, you know, as we've seen this year, there, there's a lot of good players in, in the ACC and clearly a bunch, a lot of good players in, in the non-conference schedule that Virginia faced. So I don't think there's been as much post-trapping, you know, mainly because it hasn't been as effective, but when they do do it and it doesn't work, you know, it often results in a basket or at least an open shot for the other team. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, it seems the teams we're playing are prepared for it, and you know, half the time they're making that next pass, you know, before the guy has fully rotated over, and um, you got somebody in the middle, like uh, I think it happened to Evan Nolte one time last night. Yeah. You're just 
stuck between two guys and, and, you know, you're not effective on either of them. Yeah, I thought if we didn't go to it, the post trap more last night against Noko, who really struggled with it last year, then yeah, it's definitely not as prevalent as it was. That's exact, Charlie. I thought the same exact thing. I, I, I'm watching the Clemson guys scoring at will on that on the little jump hook, and I remembered the Clemson guys struggling last year with the post trap. So I'm thinking, I was like, man, even though they were getting a lot of good perimeter looks, and and I I, I think that's maybe why. They didn't decide to go with it, but I remember that same thing at the game. I'm like, these guys struggled with the post trap. Noko and that I, I forget the other guy's name that were scoring on those jump hooks pretty regularly. I'm like, you know, is this a good time to throw those back into the mix? But we didn't see it last night. Uh, let's uh, let's move on to to Saturday. I, I'm curious. I'm very curious to see how this team does uh, against a zone like Syracuse for 40 minutes. Uh, how do you think we match up with Syracuse, Jeff? You know, I'm not that. I haven't really seen that much of this Syracuse team. I just, I just know that they're playing better. Uh, and I know Cooney's back for his 15th year, and uh, <laughs> you know, he he always scares you, even even if he, you know, he, he's just a guy who's going to scare you until the final horn goes off. Like he, even if he's missed a lot in a game, you know that he's capable of making it. But uh, you know, I'll be curious to see how we play. You know, you never quite know how they're going to go against the zone, I, you know, I think a lot of times, uh, you know, that high-low pass can be effective. You know, passing against the interior of the zone is one way to beat it, and, and Isaiah Wilkins is yes. good at that, and, uh, you know, A.G. and, and Toby can, can finish inside against it, so, uh, you know, I, I would expect that we'll have a really good scouting report on it uh, and be prepared to attack it effectively. Uh, you know, you are going to have to make some shots from outside, and you know we've been very streaky with that. But there are guys who've shown they can hit shots. London can get hot. Malcolm can get hot. Devin can. You know, they can be very cold too. So it's a little tough to predict those guys how their outside shooting is going to be from game to game. Uh, other than London, who's who's been really consistent with it this year. He's top ten in the country right now uh, in three point percentage, and, and 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 on top in the ACC. It's just. It's crazy. It's yeah. it's it's impressive. Charlie, uh, give us a little uh, preview of your uh, game preview on on Saturday. What do you what are you thinking is going to happen? I think it's going to be it's going to reflect. I think it's going to reflect the crowd, which I think is going to be. I think despite our best efforts, it's going to be sparse. I think it's going to be just one of those. It's going to be one of those ugly games. I think Syracuse is. I mean, they're. They've been playing better, but I don't think they have any singular dynamite scorer. And and I think we're going to at least struggle to find our footing with the zone for a little bit. So I think I think whoever comes out on top, and I I still, I mean, I have a good feeling about this one for a lot of the reasons Jeff yeah, you, just... You, you just, sound really confident, Charlie. <laughs> well, I mean, I've grown... And this is in no way like it's a positive ugly, but I've grown pretty confident in winning ugly games over the Tony Bennett era. Like that's almost for the first few years, it was almost a badge of honor. And then the offense caught up to where the defense was and things got a little bit prettier. So I think when games end up mired in the muck, I feel like we have a better chance of coming out ahead. And I mean, I, I see a game in the 50s or 60s. I see us struggling to figure the zone out for a little bit. I mean, well, obviously, I think. I think Isaiah is a key player here, both zone buster for sure. Yep. And as I, 
as Jeff just mentioned, like Isaiah's development as a high low passer has been maybe my favorite thing he's done this season. Um, especially working it with when he's paired with Toby because the big fella is like his arms are right there at the rim and it's easy just it's a quick play. Um and I think also like I mean Isaiah can even check Roberson. So yeah, I mean I feel like we we match up pretty well across the board and I don't know, I think between five and ten. I feel like we come out ahead by five between five and ten. Okay. Well I hope you're right. And I did I had a conversation with uh GAC's head coach about Isaiah Wilkins, uh and and he he specifically pointed out his ability to pass as something that um, was undervalued and that would stand out in his Virginia career. And, and you're right, he's he's developed there, and he, he's going to be a tremendous asset for us in that way going forward. Uh, what do you guys yeah, – let, let's just talk prediction kind of at this point before we let Jeff go. Uh, we just, you know, lost a couple road games. We, you know, been very up and down, uh, but we did obviously just go through an incredibly difficult non-conference schedule um, with one loss. Uh, where do you think we finished? Where we came into last night, ninth place in the ACC. Um, I know there's going to be a lot of let's wait and see, but if you had to, if you had to guess, and we'll just kind of go around. We'll start with you, Phony. Uh, where do where do we finish in the league? Okay, so we're three and three. We've played three home, three road. Uh, the, the Saturday game, the Saturday game scares me because I have it in my head and I don't know if the statistics back it up that we don't play well in half empty arenas. And I, I'm really afraid that that's what we're going to be facing on Saturday. Right now, if I had to pick, I don't know that I'd be picking us in the UNC game. I mean, we've got some things we need to, to fix. And I think UNC is playing really good basketball right now. I think they're playing the best in the country this week, but as we've seen this season, that changes week to week. So with those, I mean, we'll, we'll you know, pick up a couple road wins, but I, I expect to see you know, more dropped road games. So I will go pretty optimistic still 12 and six finish. All right, Jeff. Well, I'm going to skip any prediction, but I, I think, uh, I'm not feel really good, you know, about any game at John Paul Jones arena. And obviously there's some good teams coming in, but there's just, you know, the players are confident there. The, the crowd support has been great. And I think even if it's a small crowd Saturday, I think whoever makes it there will be really into it because, they will have put a lot of effort just into getting to the arena, so they're not gonna they're not gonna go through all that trouble to sit on their hands. So yeah, yeah that's a good uh, point. You know, if if people get there, it'll it'll be festive. You know, people get excited about snow if it if it comes. Uh, you know, so I don't know. I mean, the road has been a challenge. I mean, I believe this team will figure out uh, how to win on the road. You know, but it's got to do so. so I'm, you know, I'm taking a little bit of a wait and see approach on that because. Uh, I mean, the, you know, the core of this team has, has been there and has, has been tremendously successful on the road. So I don't think there's any reason, you know, this team can't and won't win on the road other than it probably comes back a little bit to the defense, too, that, uh, you know, the defense the past couple of years has carried the team on the road. You know, when times get tough, they could always rely on getting stops. And, and as Tony Bennett has pointed out repeatedly, it's, it's difficult to win when you don't get stops, you know, in those key situations. So, um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I think the league is significantly stronger this year. So, yeah, I don't think anyone's going to go through 16 and 2, maybe North Carolina. But, uh, you know, I, I, I still think that the best is yet to come for this team. And, 
Uh, it's going to figure it out. It's just got too many good players. Kind of, kind of what Brad Brown was saying the other day. And, and you know, there's a lot of coach speak, you know, on these ACC teleconferences. But you know, I think he was genuine. And and you know, coaches know that a team struggling in January uh, or going through a rough stretch that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to struggle in February or March. So I think other coaches around the league look at Virginia and, and they see a lot of good, experienced players and uh, the potential for it to be a really good team come March. Yeah, you know, and I think the polls kind of reflect that feeling. And, and you know, I think the fans are more hesitant than they, they see the sky falling. But where Virginia's managed to stay in the polls, I, I think, is indicative of just what you're saying, Jeff, that these other folks, these outsiders, realize that this is this is a rough stretch. It's not an indicative of where this team's going to be. Yeah, and, and and everybody, you know, everybody else is losing too. I mean, people tend to focus on their team and think the sky is falling. They don't notice that there are multiple skies falling around the country. And uh, you know, Michigan State lost again tonight. Duke has lost, but I'm not going to discount either of those teams or any other talented team right now that's going through a rough patch because we've, you know, you need to look no further than Michigan State, as we all know, you know, the last couple of years. Uh, how a team can get hot when it counts and look at UVA baseball and UVA men's soccer when it won the national championship. Uh, oh, yes. You know, it's all it's all about coming together, you know, at the right time. And, you know, you want to have the success along the way, and it's a lot of fun. And, I think the last two regular seasons have been particularly fun because, you know, this was territory that Virginia had not ventured into for many years. So, you know, all those milestones along the way were great. Uh, but, you know, when a program reaches a certain level, that stuff is fine. But, uh, you know, you really, really focus on what happens in, in the NCAA tournament. And that, that's how a team leaves its mark. And I know that's what this team wants to do. Absolutely. I feel like a lot of the fans have, have, have just simply forgotten who we've beaten. Uh, you know, it, it's I, there's not many teams in the country that can that can run through uh, the actual wins, the quality wins that we have. Um, and it, it's just a, a little bit of a rough patch here. I still think we finish in the top four in the league. Um, I, I've been very interested to see there's a, a, after Syracuse, we play three of four on the road. And I think that will be a big determining factor. We play at Wake, which... No matter how I've good always, they are, we always have trouble there. I've always uh, been spooked, yeah. spooked by games at the Jewel. Yeah. Uh, then we go at Louisville. Then we get Boston College at home. And then we go at Pitt, who's playing extremely well. Three of four on the road there, I think, is going to be a huge stretch. Um, and I think if we can uh, win three of, the, three of four of those games, uh, I think we're going to be in, in, in great position. Um, I, Charlie, I didn't let you throw a, a prediction in there. Uh, I think we end up thirteen and five. I feel like we pull it together largely on the road and defend uh, defend home court with the exception of UNC. I feel like UNC is just right now their head and shoulders over the rest of the league. So it's I'd be hard pressed to pick a win based just solely on what we know now. Yeah, guys, I, I agree. And I, I look, I, I I correlate it all to defense. I think I think Tony is exactly right. We are struggling to get stops and key moments on the road. We did that the last couple of years. This team on tape is struggling defensively. Something's got to pull them together on that side of the ball because I think it affects our offense. And and some of the games recently where offenses looked a little disjointed at times, I think is it directly, um, you know, directly because of, of of our struggles on defense. So 
Uh, I, I believe we can pull it together, and I, uh, I believe that we will. But, Jeff, uh, we really appreciate you uh, coming on and give us some insight there. Um, we always enjoy having you on the program, and we can't wait to have you back on. Thanks a lot for coming. All right. Good luck with that. Glad to, glad to be on, and uh, good luck surviving uh, the great snowstorm of 2016. <laughs> Snowmageddon. All right, buddy. Stay Thanks, safe. Jeff. That was Jeff White at Jeff White UVA. He's the Virginia Sports.com director of news content, a great friend of the Hard Hedge, and uh, very fortunate to have him on again. You know, what, one of the things I like about Jeff, one of the things he said um, is that the, he doesn't think the players experience the same roller coaster that the fans do. No. And it's funny, when, when I, I did that football podcast with uh, Luke Blanco and Paul Friedman, they, they said the same thing that, uh, even like the big games that they were in, the the excitement of the games, like they didn't really get that sense until they watched the game later. And, uh, you know, just talking about how much different it is as a fan. So, you know, I think a lot of times we try to project these emotions into the players' heads and, and um, attribute all this abstract stuff to, to what they're going through. And that's why I try to be hesitant to use terms like, you know, leadership and, and you know, passion and, and all that, that you're you're just trying to judge based on on what you're seeing but it made me feel better about where these guys heads are that gives a lot of hope yeah absolutely um charlie when you broke down the the tape or saturday or watched the game were you i I don't know if you went to the game or not uh you know what what stood out to you defensively because i'd be interested to hear your your perspective on kind of you know especially in that first half how virginia was defensively when the it's the thing. The biggest thing that jumped out to me in the first half, I thought Clemson was getting a lot of the looks they wanted, especially behind the three-point line, and we were just fortunate that a lot of them were missing. And yep. I feel like there was a, almost a there was a stark difference first to second half, and that I feel like guys were moving their feet, rotating a little bit on that pack, and Clemson was still getting open looks at threes, but they were maybe a couple feet behind the line, which suggests to me that they hadn't been able to get that first action they wanted going. And it started like settling into some contingency plan. That wasn't what they wanted to like. Basically we were making, they were taking open shots, but they weren't the open shots Clemson wanted. And I think that enabled us to pull ahead. And while it wasn't perfect defense, it was, a, it was better than we'd seen in a while. Yeah. I, make no mistake late in that game. Uh, Clemson, it was one of those games where, you know, London missed some key free throws and down, you know, we had a great run there in the middle of the second half. I'm like, all right, we're going to put this thing away. And then, you know, Clemson clawed their way back in and it just felt like it was like, man, this is, these are the type of games that in the, in the, in the recent memory, we did not allow teams to kind of claw back in. And then Clemson really bailed us out with some really bad shots um, there late in the game. Like I, I, that the kid that that uh, took that one that ended up in the gill dunk on the other end, Devoe. Uh, Devoe, I, I I'm not sure I would put that kid in for three games. Yeah, that, was... <laughs> that was one of the worst shots I've seen. Clemson is down three. Uh, they just got a turnover to come down and have a chance to tie the game or take the lead, and literally one pass into the possession, he takes a corner NBA three. That contested. contested, clangs front rim, long rebound, run out dunk, crowd goes nuts. Uh, if I 
if I was Brad Brennell, man, I, I would have just, uh, that one was, that was one of the biggest mistakes I've seen a kid make in, in some time. And uh, we were fortunate. They kind of fell apart there. That's a program that, that is, is starting to win. But I got the feeling at the end of that game that, okay, they're not quite at that point yet where, um, they know how to close out. When, games. And speaking of shot selection, we got to give credit where credit is due. Malcolm Brogdon, uh, his shot selection, I, I thought was superb last night. he Took a couple of those jumpers that we always talk about, but they were shot clock made running him. down. Yeah, he made them. <laughs> the shot clock was running down, though. It wasn't that 20 seconds left on the clock stuff. So, And, and, and his comments afterwards uh, reflected that, too. Yeah, I read that Coach had even, Tony had sat Malcolm down before this game and told him to trust in his teammates a little bit more and think twice about his shot selection. And you could tell it got his head just in a better place for that. That's that's crazy. I didn't see that, and that's. The, I mean, he did mention it. Tony mentioned it twice in post game conferences. You know that that he, he felt like Malcolm was forcing it a bit. So we we weren't, you know, we weren't making that up. Uh, but you you know if he if he is scoring twenty points on eleven shots, that's the Malcolm that I love. I mean, that's he was efficient. Um, you know, and I thought that that his shot selection was better. He had one kind of fall away looking three that I. I didn't think out of prayer, but it went down, and he made two two shots off the dribble, um, which he he struggles with those. So definitely definitely a positive step. He had for a couple him. frustrating uh, turnovers back to back, and uh, was that in the first half? That was that was yeah. the first half. It kind of got me uh, <laughs> a little bit anxious, but one of them yeah, one of them was a pass to no right. one. Yeah. But he he settled in, and and I mean, it's such a big part. I mean, we need. That's the Malcolm we need if we're going to be successful. Yeah, he was spending. I feel like he was spending a lot more time on that elbow extended and going into the lane. And I mean, his assist numbers have been fine, but I feel like he was doing more of it in drawing attention and hitting open guys like Isaiah for those little jumpers he likes. Like I feel like they were, I don't know, more helpful assists than yep. he had compiling recently. It was a great. It was a really good game for him. Well, guys, I'm curious to see how, like I, I said earlier, I, I do think that the starting five going forward will be the five that you saw in the second half, at least uh, until they're given a reason not to. And I know that uh, Jason Williford and Tony Bennett will probably want to strangle me for saying this, but I sit down Mike Toby and I have a call to Jesus meeting. And I know they're probably thinking, uh, you know, how many times have we had this meeting and tried to light a fire under Mike Toby, but... Um, you know, I think you call him in there and, and you, you just be like, I need every ounce of effort of you defensively. Uh, you have to find a way to, to you know, at seven feet tall, to be a little bit of a, a rim protector. you got to move your feet. Uh, he, he is a heck of an offensive player, gives us a, a strong dynamic out there. He's, he's been rebounding better. He is hustling more. Um, I, I think... I'm going. I think you start him now, even though a lot of people like the spark that he gives you off the bench. Um, you know, I, I think you got to go with the, the, the Perantis, Brogdon, Hall, Toby, Gill. I do uh, too, and I'll, I'll tell you what I, I mean, I like Toby as a spark off the bench, but what I don't like, and this is saying nothing about the kid's potential as a future contributor, I don't like what is basically amounting to eight minutes of nothing from Jack Salt. Yeah, yeah, somebody said the game seems a little fast for him right now, and I think that's a really good way of looking at it. I mean, there were teams early on in non-conference play where he showed some stuff, but it looks like there were times where he just looks a little bit overwhelmed. 
with things and, and unsure, you know, he's not at that point where he can just instinctively react. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he's barely played at this level. So, I mean, it's completely understandable that things are coming along slowly for him, but I just feel like this is a team that's had some, I mean, I, Tony, I feel like is starting him probably for almost right. the reason I'm complaining yes, about it. To, to, Jack's, to, to Jack's defense almost though. And it's, it's one, you know, I want to say issue I have with it, but the, the substitution patterns, I found it to be completely bizarre that a guy like Jack Salt, if you're going to start him, then why are you playing him for three minutes and then sitting him for the rest of the half and then bringing him out to start the second half, which he didn't do last night, but he had been doing, and then having him play the second half for three minutes and then sitting him for the rest of the half. And then you're going to go a five-game stretch without playing him at all. Then you're going to start him again. Like The way that they've decided to utilize Jack Salt uh, and some other guys, quite honestly, has just been completely bizarre to me either you think the kid can contribute and you can actually cycle him through throughout the game or you know he's not ready i it's it's one or the other this having him come out to to literally play six minutes a game at the start of games and, and at the start of halves it's just it's just weird and you know deciding that mario shayok is is the odd man out after he started a game three games ago um you know, Evan Nolte is a guy that that sat for six consecutive games or something without seeing a minute, and then you know, for reasons we discussed earlier, he's getting all kinds of minutes. I, I understand toying with the lineups and trying to find the combination and rotation that works, but part of me is a little concerned that you're gonna get any kind of semblance or continuity out of the group when. You know, you're playing so many different combinations and in so many different sporadic amount of minutes. I saw two or three combinations last night that I hadn't seen all year. The Jacksonville I, thing. I, this conversation is drawing a eerie and disturbing parallel to talk about Mike London and his rotating quarterbacks and receivers, and that is a program whose path we do not want to follow. Well, no, no I like you it. know, I, but in in, in in Tony's defense. You know, football's a game, you lose a couple games, then you're out of the championship. Look, as long if we can settle on on a regular some regular rotations by the time we have six ACC games left, and that's six games from now, I'll be happy. I mean, I think Tony has the mindset of the postseason, and he may be taking a little bit longer to figure out these lineups uh, than he ordinarily would. So I agree, it, it seems bizarre on the surface, but I, I trust in Tony uh, on this and and that he'll eventually settle it out. Now look, if it's like this where like Jack Salt never comes off the bench, either starts or he doesn't play, if it's like that at the last game of the season, I'll definitely have more questions. But for now, I think, you know, you coach for the postseason in this sport and uh, I got to believe that's what he's doing. Yeah, I'm just going to take it as a as a weird couple weeks when it comes to the, the lineups. But I, I can imagine that it's frustrating for the players and you know, I think that can that can somewhat affect your your continuity on the court. And I think that might be a small piece of why some of our offense has struggled. I mean, I understand if you decide somebody's a role player, then he's a role player. But to go from the dramatics of starting then to to not playing at all to getting sixteen minutes one game, then two minutes the next, that is where I think he needs to kind of get a little bit more semblance. And, you know, that's from my cozy view in Glen Allen, Virginia. Uh, so what do yeah. I know? But that's just my two cents. It's a rhythm sport. You play, you play best. You know guys' tendencies when you spend more time on the court with them. So I think, I mean, in a way, he is he's still trying to figure out that magic combination. But 
he's also, I mean, it, again, I completely, I trust Tony, but I feel like it may be, he's, he's taking some short-term risks with the idea of maybe hitting on something big for later on in the season. So yeah. speaking of hitting on something big, I mean, we've, we've sung this guy's praises uh, when he was getting very little time. Devin Hall really impressed us the last couple of games, particularly this game. And Mike, I'll ask you the, what we thought he wasn't getting the minutes for because he took you know one or two unnecessary risks a game. He made one bad play per game. So the question is now, do you think this is just something Tony can, has learned to live with or is, is there a change in how Devin's playing? I think Devin is, is bringing energy uh, that, that the team is lacking. And I think... I think that Tony sees it in practice most likely and that he, he's seeing it in the games. And, um, you know, that's why he's getting the minutes that he's getting. He, he is, he's not the best one-on-one defender in the world. I think everyone would agree with that, but he is, he's doing pretty well. As Charlie said, from a team aspect defensively, he does know the system. He doesn't waste movement. I've said this for years. That's one of the reasons I like him uh, on offense. Sometimes people take a, you know, he'll, He'll be a little over aggressive, but you notice he does it in spots where it's like needed to be done, where guys are standing around, or um, you know maybe maybe folks are waiting for something to happen. Sometimes Devin will do something that looks a little reckless, but it's almost like okay, you know, no one else is doing anything, so I'm I'm going to step on the gas pedal. Yeah, I, I love that mindset uh, because he's shown not only willingness to to make those kind of plays, but that he can actually make the play. Yeah, and a couple times last night, uh, I think he didn't end up fin- – he got the ball. He's not the guy that you would probably want with five seconds on the shot clock to, to, to get the ball, uh, but he tried to make a few plays late in clocks and kind of got lost amongst the trees and, and wasn't able to finish. But, again, he, he had to do it. Nobody else was doing it. Uh, he he didn't get terrible, you know, terrible looks. He just, you know, kind of got lost amongst the trees. But, look, I, I think I think Devin is, is – he's still an experienced – uh, from game standpoint, but he's been in the system and the program three years, and I think every time that he goes out there and gets a little bit more experience in big games, he's going to be a little bit better the next time. And that's why last year I wanted him to play just a little bit more. There were so many games where we dominated, and I'm like, this is a, just throw Devin out there, get him a few more minutes, uh, you know, in ACC games while, while we're up 15 with five minutes to go. Um, but you know, I think he's he's going to be a key piece for us, uh, and I think he's going to start for the rest of the season. I think so, too. I think this was his chance, and he grabbed it. Tony has always liked in his offense to have three similar-sized ball-handling guards out there. Lead guards, yeah. Yeah, and Darius has gotten a shot in that spot, and with he's kind of faded a little bit recently. But I think I'm trying to find the right word for this. Devin is just kind of funky in a way that really nobody else on our team right now is like he's got he's got the when he's when he's moving vertically in line to in line with the basketball instead of being tentative and going sideline to sideline I feel like he does both a lot of good for us as a creator even though I think also guys need to be keeping their heads up because he's had a couple turnovers this year where he's tried to make the pass and it's not one that guys are looking for but when he's going into the defense and being aggressive I feel like and he's getting the when he's getting the minutes and he's to play through his mistakes and he's getting the confidence I feel like the positives he comes out with both both of the scorer and creator vastly outweigh a couple turnovers here and there I think the the problems with Devin come when he makes a couple turnovers early he's been sat and then he comes back in and dribbles sideline to sideline two feet behind the three-point line and stops bringing that 
fun, interesting, creative offensive game to the table. Like I think Devin's a really interesting guy just as a compliment to Malcolm and as a compliment to London, as just a third guy that can handle a third guy that can set up, like that can kind of fill each of those guys roles. Although, I mean, obviously he's not the shooter that London is and he's not the all around scorer than Malcolm is. He can kind of, he can slide into either of those roles in a second. I think he's an interesting guy. I think he's going to start for the rest of the year. Yep. I agree. And, and I, I dying to see what happens in this next stretch. Cause guys, I, I'll admit, I don't think, we played well defensively last night. Uh, I I saw some stuff there in person from that baseline. I was in phony seats and that kind of slightly elevated baseline view. Slightly elevated. Did you uh, take oxygen? Really? It's, yeah. I've, I've noticed this year too. It's pretty great. Although this year it hasn't been as great. It's been. It's really interesting to watch the defense from there. Yeah, it's a. There's a lot of chase and a lot of kind of scrambling around. It, it's it's not. It's it's different. And I think you know. As good as this team can be offensively, it's going to erase a lot of those defensive concerns. And if you know, if it all comes together, and and it did through a lot of the non-conference, and we'll we'll just have to see what happens for the rest of the year. I am optimistic. There's too much talent on this team. There's too much winning in their veins uh, for them not to get it together. And like Jeff White said, guys, it's all about March at this point. So we have, what, there's 12 games left in the ACC to figure out what we got to do to win in March. And, you know, time will tell. So I guess that's it, unless you guys have anything that you wanted to add. No, man, I I was supposed to be at the Syracuse game on Saturday, but it looks like the weather's going to keep me away. So please, if you are in the area, if you can walk there or safely drive there, go. I I would hate for that arena to be any more empty than it absolutely has to be. I'm going to park my car at the end of my driveway after I get home from work on Friday and I'm going to try to make it in. I don't get to get, I don't get out to as many games as I would like to because of uh, my wife's work schedule. So a weekend game, I'm going to do my best to get there, weather or no weather. All right. We're putting on you, Charlie. We're putting on you for all of us. Now that you've stepped up to the plate, I don't care if there's 36 inches of snow. You got to be, you got to be in Charlottesville. Strap the snowshoes on. That was a good point by Jeff. The people that are do show up if it's weather like that are going to be crazy. Yeah, honestly, I have no concern about Saturday. I'm just going to be honest with you all. I, I think we win that game easily. I don't. Uh, they'll move people down to the lower bowl. Kids will go nuts. We win by 15. You book it. Nice. All right, guys. Well, for the rest of the gang, Phony Bennett, Charlie Sawwasser, Mike Pittman, great having you with us. It's going to be an important stretch coming up, guys. We'll try to record. we got a couple more guests lined up, and uh, we're looking forward to you guys being with us. Be safe in the snowmageddon. Wahoo-wah.